Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This week's Major Spoilers podcast goes out to Daniel Purcell. And I'd also like to tell him this little song that I learned when I was a youth. Australia, 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 we love you. Amen. Is it all right if we call you Bruce to keep it clear? The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. Hello, I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, girls in fishnets, girls in rubber cement bikinis, and Ted Cord. We almost had a thing go in there, now that I think about it. The far-flung future of Mega City 1 is still a scumhole, but what's past is prologue, and the monsters is a-rumbling in the streets, just as little Ernie Burley came by in his curly-whirly and asked him if I needed a ride. So, if Steven's the walrus, that means Rodrigo can be the Lizard King, and as for me, some people call me Maurice, but it should be noted that those particular people call everyone Maurice Transmitting from our secret lair deep in the bowels of a sperm whale, the Major Spoilers podcast is in your house, stealing all your mans and something about the air. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another exciting issue of the Major Spoilers podcast. So glad that you're joining us again today. So glad that Matthew and Rodrigo are joining us again today. It almost didn't happen. The interweb was hiding me. I, I was in a different tube. Yes. Yes, Ever, yes, Matthew yes. got upgraded and doesn't know how to turn off his stealth mode. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to All crouch. Right, we got a great show. Uh, we uh, got a great show ahead. We'll be talking uh, X-Men Days of Future Past later in the show, plus a lot of your listener comments and feedback uh, in the show as well. But first, let us get to some news. <laughs> Three items that we've pulled from the Majorspoilers.com website. They are Judge Dread to get dirty and gritty. Star Wars goes to Blu-ray and Vampirilla comes in November. Let's spin that uh, wheel and see where it goes. There it goes. There it goes. Landing on number one, Judge Dredd to be a gritty, <laughs> realistic, R-rated movie. Also, Carl Urban is going to be the new Judge Dredd. This is according to uh, Superhero Hype and many other websites that are going around saying that uh, Dr. McCoy in this most recent J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie will be dying who the Judge Dredd gear. Yes. And yeah. more importantly, this is the interesting thing. More importantly, he leads the writers of Rohan. Yes, there you go. In Judge Dredd, he won't remove his mask in the movie at all, which I find a little I find a little interesting, especially since actors sell themselves usually based on their mm. face. 
I know. But and so to say that yes, I will be wearing a mask uh, the entire time, so you can't see my facial features except for my chin. Yes, let's go. I'll sign yeah, that. Maybe contract. maybe if it was Bruce Campbell who has a very recognizable chin. Well, Dred's mask isn't actually a mask; it's a helmet with big uh, shields in it. It's got a big glass portion. Right. I mean, in theory, the majority of his face is going to be visible even wearing Dred's Dred's helmet. Well, according to producer Andrew McDonald, this movie is going to be R-rated, it's going to be gritty, it's going to be realistic, and not that completely messed up movie from 20 years ago. Wow. So I think that's that's why they're going to try to keep him in that helmet, because I think Stallone had his off multiple times in that movie. Most of them. People could say, oh, look, it's Sylvester Stallone. I I think it is funny that they threw the word realistic into that. (laughs) Well, apparently the bike is going to look like a bike that could actually fly. Mm, Right. Uh, I'd be interested to see And the mutants are going to be look like mutants that yeah. would actually mutate. Yes. yes, that's what the mutants will look like okay. real and, and, and Judge sorry. Death will look like death. The problem with the Judge Dredd movie 20 years ago wasn't that it was a bad movie, although it was. And it wasn't though it was it that it was just a big vanity piece for Stallone doing another Rambo riff, although it was. It was that it started by setting up this Judge Dredd premise for 5 minutes and immediately undermined it with the everything you know is wrong trick that doesn't work because everything we know about Judge Dredd, you told us essentially in the first five minutes of the movie. It's not like this is Batman where the property is established in America. Many people only know Judge Dredd from the Stallone movie. Well, but see, that's the bigger question. Do people even actually know who Judge Dredd is? 20 years ago, Matthew... That's when we were, like, uh, young and stuff. No, we were yeah. young 20 years ago. Rodrigo wasn't hardly even around. Hardly even. He was around. He was hardly four. even around 20 years ago. Because to you, children are not people. <laughs> well. You monster. That's why children. he just calls it the boy. He'll name movie. it when it's 18. Yes, exactly. You'll <laughs> learn his name. Um, but, you know, most audiences today, which are quite younger than you, Rodrigo, mm. most people with expendable income don't have any idea who Judge Dredd is. Oh, certainly not. My- and unless you come from overseas, you probably don't even know what uh, 82,000 or J- J- Judge Dredd is. In fact, you know, my my only real knowledge of Judge Dredd really comes from the movie. I've flipped through a few comics, so I know that it's like the actual property is different right, right. from the movie. right. Um, but the movie went a long way to making me not actually want to read Judge Dredd. I think they should make an adult movie called Jugs Dread. Nice. See, but they don't do that anymore. That's the worst part about it. They would just call it Judge Dredd a porn parody. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. And that probably that is what's sad about the world, Stephen. <laughs> no creative... Uh... That's right. No more Forest Hump. <laughs> no, no Star more, Whores. No more In Diana Jones. <laughs> Uh, Matthew, other thoughts about uh, this? Are you looking forward to a realistic, gritty, R-rated, hard R? No. This is the kind where you actually see people's arms get blown off and people's heads get pulled off a la And Robocop. side boobs. Yeah. Mm, yes and no. Um, I've never been heavily into the Judge Dredd character, but I've liked things that come from the Judge Dredd character. I love martial law, which is strongly influenced by Judge Dredd. But, you know, for my money, as porn titles go, you can't beat two Wongs make a white. But also, um, it, in as much as I want to see them do better than the last time, we say, you know, nobody knows who Judge Dredd is. Nobody knew really that the movie Red came from a comic book. Nobody, you know, theoretically speaking, from knew hell. who Scott Pilgrim was before the movie. What the hell's a Scott Pilgrim? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's not as though... Road to Perdition, right? Yeah. Yep. Road to Perdition. What's that other one? The Piranha thing? I don't know. 
you can make Ron a successful adapt movie adaptation of a comic book without there being a built-in audience because let's be honest, even the built-in audience is maybe a hundred thousand people. You know, if, and, if, and might be highly antagonistic to you anyway. Exactly. Yes. If everybody who movie? ever read a Judge Dredd comic in America goes to see this movie, and only those people go to see this movie, it will be a legendary flop. So it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna be a matter of what they can do in terms of buzz, in terms of you know little guerrilla viral marketing, whatever it is they do to try and put this movie together, even if they just say it's not going to suck like Sylvester Stallone did right there. You got yourself maybe 20,000 people. I'm in. All right. We'll be talking more about uh, comic book movies this weekend on the major spoilers podcast. I just hope that this movie has Rob Schneider in it in some way, shape or form. Dear God, because it why? would be funny because it would be funny. Really? Even if he gets his head blown off in two seconds. Rob Schneider hasn't been funny since he stopped doing Elvis parodies. <laughs> Bless me. There you go. There you go. You're really, Matthew, you really need to get that word checked. It's actually <laughs> sneezing now. Uh, it's all right. Sometimes I sneeze like a girl. It happens. <laughs> hey, uh, quick update. Uh, some people were asking about this Twitter pitch contest. What was up with it? What happened to it? <laughs> Turns out that Twitter, this is all Twitter's fault. The, the original idea was Rodrigo's to uh, everybody use a hashtag and post some uh, uh, new pitches for the Legion of Superheroes. Mm -hmm. What would make the story better? Who would you include? Those kinds of things. And, uh, you know, up until about a month ago, Twitter was keeping a rather large database archive of their logs. They've now changed that to about four days worth of yeah. backup data that they have. So all of those entries were lost. But fear not, we're still going to have this contest. We're just going to move that Twitter pitch over to the Majorspoilers.com website. So go over there. You'll see, I think you have until the 20th, I think is what I said, mm. to uh, pitch your idea. The button's there on the uh, right side of the page. Click on that. You still have to follow Twitter's rules. 140 characters, including spaces. Including two spaces. separate, Two separate uh, entries. One for the characters, one for the Legion story pitch. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we will pick the top five and then let you vote on that uh, in a couple of uh, weeks or probably in a week or so. Yep. That'll be up, so... Head over there and enter now. I think we've got a sketch and something else going on with yeah. that. Also, also, if you've already entered and, and realized that you weren't counting your spaces and are now slapping yourself, uh, doing a little face palm, you can just go back and, and retype it following those rules and you'll be fine. We'll, yes. We're still accepting it. Yes, exactly. But I don't want somebody to say, hey, I've typed 300 characters, including spaces, and therefore it's still under 140 characters, therefore I win. Because that, that doesn't fly. Yeah. That doesn't well, first fly. of all, you don't win until we says you win. Right, exactly. And that's important exactly. to know. And we'll have, those finalists, we'll have those finalists in a week or so, and then uh, everybody can vote on that. And, and Major Spoilers also, Enterprises reserve, reserves the right to disqualify anyone for any reason at any time, even if it's just because our tummy hurts. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. We have to go look in the fine print. I think it's Article Subsection 7 of the uh, charter, so... Also over at the Major Spoilers website, be sure to check out the most recent retro review that appeared this past weekend, Defenders number 50. What's so important about Defenders number 50, Matthew? Defenders number 50? Oh, 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 if you've never read Defenders number 50, it is truly awesome. Well, first of all, it's a 50th issue, and back in the day that meant something. But Defenders number 50 is the climax of David Kraft's magnum opus, Whatever Happened to Scorpio? And it features one of the greatest Defenders teams of all time, Nighthawk, Hellcat, the Hulk, the Valkyrie, Moon Knight, with a special appearance by Nick Fury? 
How can this be? A bear is driving. You should go to Major Spoilers and find out. Okay. <laughs> That's some good advice there. Also, you might want to check out the website and check out a little thing called the Want List. You may be seeing more of that in the near future. And also, there is a top 10 that's been posted. Top 10 stories that changed everything. One of them we will be talking about later in the show. I actually came up with that Rodrigo, at 3 a.m. the night before. <laughs> Yay! Yes. Rodrigo, it's getting close to pledge time once again. Yes, it is. More, uh... Don't even more fuel me. needed. More fuel needed to keep the lights burning. Yep. To bring fine, quality, free programming to you, listeners at home, and uh, every little bit helps. We've got uh, got a little donation button over on the Majorspoilers.com website. Click on that. Make a do- donation of ten dollars or more, and we will dedicate a Major Spoilers podcast episode to you. Yep. It's pretty simple. Pretty easy. I think so. I would do it if I had money, <laughs> or if you were eligible. <laughs> we may have. Yes. Oh no, Rodrigo can donate ten dollars at any time. I, I am Stephen not turn doing my money a down. shout out to Rodrigo. Back to him. Not going to happen. I'm not, not doing re- a shout out to I'm me. Distributing it back to him. Not doing a shout Rodrigo, out. Rodrigo, we got ten dollars in this month. Here's ten dollars. Not doing a shout out to Boston Rob. <laughs> this is confusing. Wait, no, <laughs> Boston Rob. I'm thinking of D and D Brian. Lots of things going on over at Major Spoilers, and every time that somebody helps, it helps us bring more great stuff to you. All right, that's all out of the way. Let's talk about some reviews this week. You have to change one note so you don't get sued. So this week we've got a couple of books that uh, that we've all picked up and looked at. I think they're all from the past. Well, one of them actually comes out this week. Rodrigo was uh, Witchblade Due Process number one. That ought to be pretty cool. I've got Zatanna number four, written by Paul Dini, art by uh, Chad Harden. And Wayne, uh, what's it, Foucher? Foucher. Um, Foucher. It's a, uh, if you haven't been following the Satana book since it kicked off, she has pissed off the wrong people in the underworld, and they're all figuring out ways to bring her down. Uh, plots and schemes and evil demonic forces attacking her left and right. Uh, this issue kicks off in Las Vegas. Zatanna is opening a new uh, Las Vegas strip show, which could be a really great big thing, except that uh, she's got demons and bad guys and her cousin uh, Zatara. Um, or whatever his name is. Zachary Zatara, yeah. Zachary, yeah. Zachary Zatara is hanging around, causing troubles. Uh, but the issue kicks off in a really great fight with the Royal Flush Gang. Now, the Royal Flush Gang, if you've watched them at, at all in other appearances, they all take on the appearance of the deck of cards, King, Queen, mm-hmm. Jack, ten. Uh, 10, Ace, all of that stuff. Here, they actually adopt kind of a Rat Pack uh, yes. costuming, and it works really, really well. I would hope that other people in the future take a look at this royal flush and mm-hmm. say, you know what? They don't have to be in a goofy costume. Right. Let's make it work here. I mean, they're still flying around on on playing cards and still uh, fighting it out in the skies over are, Las Vegas. Are the royal flush gang ever the same group of people, though? Not necessarily. They, it seems like, like they yeah. seems like they uh, they get caught and captured, and somebody the, else picks it the up. The royal flush gang are kind of like the er, like the Eric the Red of the DC universe. Yes, kind of. It always seems to be the different people, even in the. Uh, I think even in Batman Beyond, they even yeah. talk about how it mixes it up quite a bit. Uh, but, of course, she's able to bring the Royal Flush Gang down. Um, it seems like the owner of the hotel where her or the casino where she's uh, performing her show has made some pact. He's almost a Dorian Gray type character where he continues to live and live and live. Uh, but he's made some evil uh, compromise to try to bring Zatanna down. Uh, there's a great hotel room uh, uh, party with Zachary that he's putting on disturbing as uh, Zatanna's rest. 
And then uh, at the end of the issue, she's attacked by three fire demons, and they burn out her tongue so she can't speak. Dun 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 dun. Uh, it's Paul Dini writing, so you know that it's it's fast paced. It's got some quality uh, dialogue exchanges. It's not always just let's throw words into these people's mouths so that we can fill up a, a word balloon. It's actually well thought out and crafted all the way throughout. Mm. Uh, the art I really really like. Yes, there's a bunch of gratuitous uh, Zatanna in her fishnet uh, butt shots in here, but, you know, what do you expect from a comic book these days, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But the facial features, the body structures, the coloring, art is simply fantastic. I'm giving a Zatanna uh, number four, four out of five stars. Nice. I liked it that much. Yeah. Matthew, you've got uh, a book from last week. Do I? Booster Gold. Uh, Booster Gold number 35. Indeed. Excuse me. Booster Gold has been for about three years no traveling through time and space and dimension, righting wrongs and wronging rights and uh, bonging things and basically hanging out in Batman's backstory for about a year and a half. Uh, But this issue, Mm -hmm. he has jumped back to an earlier portion of his own life and is currently hanging out. Like, so he's, so has he jumped jump back in is he going backwards in time meaning like his early jli days or do you mean he's actually jumped forward in time to when he was a younger college kid no he has gone backwards in time to the time when he scott free and ted cord were members or recent members of the justice league international so this is a basically a flashback to 1992 our world which means it was about six minutes ago in the DC universe, we start out with a big fighty fighty. And it's really actually quite cute in that the three guys are standing there and watching the fighty fighty as big Barta takes on about 15 armored guys. And Hey, are you disappointed by that? Let me ask you real quick. Are you disappointed by that? Because you know, the cover Mm -hmm. makes you think that there's all sorts of tentacle porn action going on on Uh, the inside. mm -hmm. And then when you actually see the reveal, (laughs) not one of them has tentacles. Well, no, because the cover is uh, Kevin McGuire. And the interiors are Chris Batista, former uh, SmackDown heavyweight champion. It does matter. There's some fighty, 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 fighty. And there's a girl who seems to be somehow related to the White Witch of Naltor. Even though the Mm -hmm. White Witch of Naltor's features with her little eyebrow uh, antennae weren't actually a feature of her people. But okay, we're good with that. They introduced this giant thing that Darth Vader would probably want for her birthday gift that destroys entire planets. Um, Keith Giffen writes really sharp dialogue all the way through the issue. I really love it. There's a point where they're fighting and they're fighting and something is going on. And Blue Beetle is finally just like, so uh, why'd you come back in time to visit me here in this time period? And of course, Booster's like, what? What are you talking about? I am not from the future. He's like, sure you are. You're not my booster. Your hair is thinning in the back. You're obviously several years older. I figured you just came back to hang out with me because you're bored. And it's a really interesting moment where you realize that Ted Cord is a lot smarter than anybody gives him credit for. But, of course, more fighty-fighty. Booster has a serious moment. Barda actually explains that she kind of likes and respects Booster and Beetle. It's almost like, I don't know, someone has spent the last 15 years destroying the legacy of the JLI, and Keith Giffen, as the creator of it, is coming back and pointing out the parts of it that were really kind of neat. I may be overthinking it. Nice. Yeah. But it it's actually a pretty nice issue. The villain kind of falls apart in the end. 
the villain turns out to be kind of a superstitious and cowardly lot who teleports away and sets off his evil planet pounder device. And we're left with the cliffhanger of the Dark Stars coming to arrest the Justice League International because they think, apparently, that they're the ones who have stolen this planet pounder device. And, of course, there's something weird going on with the girl that Booster brought back from the future. I don't know <clears throat> what that's all about. Rip Hunter. Time travel! Rip Hunter is Booster's son, yes? Right. I'm wondering if somehow this little girl isn't Booster's mother or grandmother or something. Because <clears throat> it seems like the kind of twist that would make sense. She's obviously more than she seems. She came out of the 30th century, but she knows more about, you know, time, space, and dimension than Rip or Booster. I don't know. It's a good issue, and it's a good issue because, for me at least, it reminds us of what worked in Justice League International after years of, you know, murders and rapes and horrifying, you know, doing everything we can to dark and dirty and gritty up all these characters who just kind of, you know, had fun for 60 or 70 issues in the 90s. And, of course, that's inexcusable. I like Giffen's dialogue. I love Chris Batista's art. I want to see Batista on a big title with a lot of characters, like a Legion or a JLA. I would love to see Batista handling an entire team of characters. <clears throat> Excuse me. His art kind of reminds me of... Um, oh, God, what is that guy's name? Do you remember who used to do Silver Surfer and now draws Anita Blake? Uh, Ron, Ron oh, Lim, uh, I, Ron Lim, Ron, Ron Lim. Yeah. It's kind of a, a more angular, a slightly, I don't want to say cleaner, but it's, it's a slightly more angular, maybe more photorealistic Ron Lim kind of look. I really like Batista's art. Four out of five slices of meatloaf on the booster gold. Excellent. Very good. PC's on a good roll this week. Yeah. I blame PC titles getting four stars. I blame Giffen who also did the art for defenders. Number 50. Ooh. Excellent. Whoa. There you go. It's a callback. Rodrigo, you've got something from Top Cow for us. That's a right. one shot. Mm -hmm. Good jumping on point, hopefully. Maybe not. Um, It's got Sarah Pizzini in it, right? Barely. I had a Sarah Pizzini the other day in. with uh, sausage. They had the chicken version, but um, I didn't want the chicken Sarah Pizzini. Yeah, that'll just give you hard bread. Yeah. Um, Witchblade, due process, number one. Um, of one, which, which doesn't make any sense. I, you know, which they always do, do that. process number one. I, I one think, shot. I don't know. I don't know if it was last week or two yeah, weeks ago that one. I did Deadpool yeah. Origins number one of one. Right, right, right. They just, you know, they know that that number one is going to draw at least three nerds. Yeah, really limited or series more. or more. Yes, micro. Um, the. So Witchblade due process number one starts out with Sarah Pizzini being like, I did a terrible thing. And apparently when she was just a rookie cop before uh, she got bonded to the Witchblade, um, which is an actual thing and not just what they call their hazing ritual at the <laughs> uh, police department. Um, she was sent as basically part of a goon squad, although she didn't know it, to arrest this guy who they basically pinned all these murders too oh. and all of those murders that were largely unrelated were all basically police murders mm -hmm. or cover-ups that the mob was paying the police to well, cover that makes sense so ever since then she had been kind of 
slowly compiling evidence between, you know, going around and fighting the forces of evil and sometimes boning the forces of evil. Hello. Um, <laughs> you know, just kind of uh, trying to figure out whether this man should be set free or not. And so she finally gathers all this evidence and shows it, and basically she manages to set him free. Before this man is set free, however, his roommate is like, hey, I know you're getting out, but this guy just paid me to shank you, so I will shank you. So he shanks him. Does he shank um, him with a shiv, or does he shiv him with a shank? I think he shanks him with a shimmy shake. Yeah. Um, shimmy shimmy cocoa pop so the guy's like oh no and then like turns around and just shanks him right back and then this demon thing pops out and is like oh good good yes <laughs> um so there's a there's a there's a ghost monster demon involved does it really talk like dom um, defore from the old jack benny show <laughs> I, I think so well yes yeah <laughs> Yes. So it's the that the that or a uh, from that maybe yeah maybe one of the skexies with a sore throat. Mm, yes. <laughs> anyway, um, and he kind of looks like that, I guess. So there's that. Uh, so that guy is a demon that kind of feeds on people's sorrow and stuff. And you know he gets free, and you know the demon's trailing behind him. And Sarah Pizzini is like, oh, no, no, you don't, demon. And she witchblades up and she's like, ha, ha, ha. But she can't do nothing to him because he's a demon that plot-wise can't be attacked. Excellent. Those are the best kind. I know. Those suck. The the DM just decides that he got away. Oh, this is the only issue. I was going to say, at the next issue, she's going to take him down in three panels. Well, uh, and that's that's how witchblade usually works. And... What is remarkable about this book is that it's really not about Witchblade. It's about, really, it's about this demon. Basically, what the demon does is he talks to people who were innocent and have lost everything in their lives and tries to corrupt them, and that's how he gains power. So he has this entire cult devoted that, you know, he's slowly converted and at the end, this guy's like, I don't care what this demon says. I don't care about anything. I'm going to go find my family. And as he's going to find his family, he gets killed, you know, due to all these circumstances that the demon cross, engineers. Cross the street at a, not a crosswalk and a car ran into him. No, he his family lives in the ghetto now. So he gets uh, oh, drive by. No, he gets actually I think actually he does get shanked at the end. Um <laughs> But the whole thing is that his daughter sees him get killed, and the demon starts basically courting her in the same oh, way that yeah, yeah, he yeah. was uh, trying to convince her dad to come to the dark side. At the same time, Witchblade comes to see her, or Sarah Pizzini comes to see her, because her and Die Hard haven't teamed up, um, <laughs> and says, and, and, and probably the best part of the book is that the demon comes down and says, hey, I'm on your side. There's certain ev- there's certain people out there who want to hurt you, but I can protect you, and I know people who can protect you. Mm-hmm. At which point, you know, Sarah shows up and says, hey, I know there's people out there trying to help you, There's you know, but I can protect you, and I know people who can protect you. They, have, they literally have the exact same dialogue, yeah. and then it's left with the girl just kind of standing there waiting to make a choice. And oh, you never, cool. you don't find out what the choice the girl makes. Wow. Um. So it's it's surprisingly thought provoking. Well, 
it's thought provoking for a Witchblade story, right, right. Um, which is nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not saying that Witchblade is incapable of it, but that's not necessarily what you pick up an issue of Witchblade. But for. I don't think it's going to light up the discussion boards with uh, did she choose right or did she choose wrong. It's it's probably not. Um, although it might be interesting it because Witchblade has now been around long enough and has had enough right. writers uh, on the book and and on the various crossovers and stuff. That it is starting to develop kind of a mythos, mm-hmm. despite, you know, from the very beginning, them trying really hard to develop a mythos, and it's just kind of like, meh. Now it's actually starting to stick. Oh, cool. Especially now they have more and more crossovers with the darkness and the Angelus yeah, and yeah. whatever and whatever else is topical at Top you need, Cow. You need to read, you need to read that uh, new 12-issue Artifacts. Series. Yeah, Artifacts. Artifacts. Oh. Matthew and I reviewed it a couple weeks ago, and man, it's, it's good. It's actually got That's some interesting good. bits to um, it. <laughs> That's good. Um, and, and, you know, for, for a long time, and, you know, I had been reviewing and reading Witchblade for a while. Right. And Witchblade, for a while now, has been a pretty decent book, you know, just kind of without anyone noticing, I think, you know, it started being not a book that was well, solely about you've boobies. Got, it's got one writer who's been writing it That's for right. three or four years and, now. And really an artist, also an artist, who's been right. pretty consistently... Right. And what's and truly sad is that, in every crossover you see her half-naked with the giant boobies. Exactly. And the Despite hair. the fact that in her own book doesn't she doesn't appear that way. She's yeah, yeah. basically She's fully armored. Yeah, yeah. Um, or just is kind of wearing her like... Yeah, metal. Like a, what no, like a... Corset. No. She has like a leather Stop jacket <laughs> and jeans with like her little snot bubble yeah. armor all over it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, her plain clothes detective gig. Um so the art is pretty good. Actually the art is really good. Um Who handles the art? It it has a very clean and it's uh Alina Urs Urusov. Urusov. Yeah. Gesundheit. Cool. Um it's it's very clean and has this again has this kind of soft thing without being you know a Ron Mars kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, but it does have this dreamlike quality which looks good with the demon and looks good in like the kind of trippy prison scenes. All in all, this was this this is actually a very good book and it's a one shot. It in my mind it kind of boosts it. Cool. So I would give this four slices of meatloaf definitely. Wow. If you've always wanted to read a witch play story, pick this one up. This this is a good way to decide whether you like. The Witchblade universe, because this kind of stuff happens all the time. It's like, is this a crime? Oh, no, it was demons. Which, you know, might get a little bit annoying, but it's actually what happens in Witchblade every day. <laughs> wow, four books uh, out with the f- or three books with four stars, mm-hmm. or four slices of meatloaf this week. Very, very cool. Nice. Doesn't look like, That's uh, like there's 12 a slices in the stack this week. Yeah. Hope you can choke that all down in one sitting. Sarah Pazzini can. There you go. Yeah, but she has to give All up All right, Sarah everybody. Pizzini. For the last couple of weeks, we have been doing werewolf on werewolf action in the major spoilers. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> this week, it all comes to a conclusion in this week's installment of... It's time for the millions in attendance and the five people who can see through the glare from Stephen's head. It's time. We've gone old school, and it's an old school open. In this corner, weighing in at a combined 745 pounds, they are Lawrence Talbot and Scott, what's his name? Okay, David Kessler. The Werewolves of London. 
and the reigning champion. Z, weighing in at over 2,000 pounds. Both with false names, but cooler names than you. They are Boris and Lon. The O-W-O, the Old World Order. Let's get ready to not get sued. As we go to the major spoilers, Paul! There you go. Pow. So, uh, you know, last week, uh, Rodrigo and Matthew and I were talking about this before the show. We just cannot believe that the David Kessler, uh, Lawrence Talbot fight from last week is still so close a week later with over 400 votes. Yeah. And people keep voting in votes. it. Uh, like, yeah. yeah, well, there was a couple of podcasts that mentioned the poll, so I think oh, that nice, was part of nice. it too. But with like 443 votes or something like that the last time I checked, it was like 51%, 49% with a plus or minus margin of error of 2%. So, you right. know, it's like virtually identical ties. So I just declared them both ties. That when we sense. looked at the scorecard, tie. So close, too close to call. Uh, so I just said, okay, we're going to put these two into the ring with the... Uh, the Lon Chaney, uh, Lon, Lon Chaney uh, uh, Wolfman, but I said, you can't just have two-on-one. That's not fair. So mm-hmm. let's dive into the other universal monsters mm-hmm. and uh, add Frankenstein to the mix, because I'm pretty sure Wolfman met Frankenstein at some point. At least yeah, now we're in, in Costello. Uh, his, in in Frankenstein, yeah, Frankenstein and the Wolfman meet yeah. in Costello or something like that. Yes. So we're putting the old school monsters in the ring with the uh, <clears throat> newish, newish school monsters. Going to let them tag team it out. Matthew, who wins? See, this is a tough one for me because, I mean, David Kessler kicks butt. David Kessler is a very dangerous individual. And I hear this Larry Talbot kid has some has some chops, but what it really comes down He's to... He's also got this nose that bothers Rodrigo. Exactly. Uh-huh. He's got the cute it little... It does. It's all nose. wet. And I'm like, no, get off. <laughs> but you have to look at this, and I'm going to put on my Vince McMahon face for a moment, okay? Let's look at this Kessler and Talbot oh, team. They're essentially... He actually cut off Vince McMahon's face, and it's in the closet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It puts the lotion on the skin. I have the heart of a 20-year-old. <laughs> Vince McMahon. It's in the trunk of the car. Anyway... <clears throat> the, Vince McMahon, he's a big fan. The, the quote-unquote no. wolf pack... Are two young studs who are like really, really, really agile and fast and vicious, and they have all these moves that are new school. They're kind of like, um, I don't know, let's say the Hart Dynasty, okay? But you cannot overestimate the public's ability to love what they already know. I mean, Wolfman and Frankenstein are like Hall and Nash. Yeah, they're old and. You know, the big one really can't move all that fast, but when he hits you, you believe that it hurts. And the little one still has a couple of moves when he's not drunk. So I had to go with uh, Frankie and the Wolf, the Drac Pack, if you will, um, simply because of, well, Boris Karloff and Lon Chaney. That was what I voted for because, you know, for me, even if you're powerful, let's say you go and you slash Frankenstein's monster to bits, right? He's a monster. He's made of like bits of a dozen other humans. You know, you're not going to hurt him that way. And much like Kevin Nash, he only has to tag you once or twice before kayfabe forces you to sell his maneuvers. And if you don't sell his maneuvers, then you're going to get back to the locker room and you're going to find that all the other universal monsters are there to beat you down because you didn't sell for the man who had more tenure in the organization. So Wolfman and Frankenstein for me all the way 
with more wrestling references than you probably ever really wanted to hear. Larry King Pittsburgh says, though I love classic Universal Monsters, Frank and Wolfie have no chance. Frank may have the strength to kill little girls, and Wolfie can sure hump a mean leg. But against two wolf powerhouses, call the meat wagon for this one, black and white, not all red. You know what? The black and white wolf pack outlasted the red. No, never mind. (laughs) Rodrigo, go. Um, I think it's... this this is a very complex issue for me. Um, first off, it I think it would matter where they were uh, fighting because um, if they're fighting in the uh, the older uh, characters' home turf, the new guys would have a lot of trouble since everything's black and white and uh, <laughs> and those and trees canines, are made out of paper. Canines don't have all that good of a color differentiation <laughs> anyway, so that that would cause them a lot of problems. Um, but really, you know what? I, I think that in the end, the young guys would take it just because they're so much faster and it and by now have been digitally rem- remastered, <laughs> right? Um. So, like, the refresh rate has got to be, uh, uh, you know... Like 29.94 Furthermore, that's right. What I think, though, would actually happen in a fight like this is that these guys would all get into it, mm-hmm. and then they would have to stop fighting and team up to fight Bella Lugosi and Gary Oldman. Yes, and Gary <laughs> Coleman, because he's going to be back from the grave. Uh, Brian G says, oh, come on. Frankenstein's just a crutch in this fight. Fight. He's too slow to tag any of the modern werewolves uh, versions of his partner, and I'll bet half as strong, too. This is a slaughter much unlike any I've seen before. Oh, Brian, Brian, Brian. Uh, let's see. Bat and Wolf. Oh, Bat and Wolf. You know, this guy is uh, he's got a comic series about vampires and werewolves that's actually pretty good. Um might want to check that out. He says, as much as I love the Universal Monsters, they're pretty much screwed here. Plus, all the Universal Wolfman can do is really strangle people. Good luck trying that on an extra-large werewolf. Uh, Bruce, I don't know which Bruce this is, but he says, Kelsler and Talbot would be baffled by their opponent's distinct lack of color, allowing Frankenstein's monster to slowly and methodically crush <laughs> their skulls. That's, they wouldn't know where they are. <laughs> That's <laughs> utter disaster, <laughs> Bruce. They all smell like styrofoam. I didn't know, because he usually, I thought, went by something else. You can, you can always tell Bruce's uh, thing, though. That's his total writing style. Slowly and methodically. Right. Slowly I turned, step by step. Niagara Falls. Uh, I went with the uh, classic Wolfman and Frankenstein monster just because... You're old. And really what all of these polls polls boil down to is, which is your favorite? And quite frankly, growing up, and this is something we kind of alluded to last week. Wait, when did you grow up again? When does that start? A long time ago. uh, You know, we got to watch the old Little Rascals, Three Stooges, um, Popeye Black and Whites, come home after school on a on an afternoon and there's a classic monster marathon so you got to see all the wolfman movies all the frankenstein movies and you know those kind of endeared themselves to me so i think in a fight these two could uh, pretty much hold their own mm-hmm. plus you know fire bad and i don't think any of these uh no. young, new new whippersnappers have any fire between them no so. really if a fire broke out during this fight all of them would just run <laughs> <laughs> plus you know kids not, today don't actually says, hold up like, their lighters sit, for an encore they use their cell phones yeah Exactly. Like, yeah, maybe watching these guys in a fight would be very entertaining. What wouldn't would be watching them in like a spelling bee or something. This is not, <laughs> these are not smart combatants. Actually, 
uh, I don't remember if, it, and you know, in the book, Frankenstein actually did learn to oh, read. Oh yeah, and no, spell in the book, he's a genius. Things. Yeah, uh, but I can't remember if in the movie I knew he learned to spell a few words or something with the old blind. No, man. you're thinking of the miracle worker. Oh, is that what it is? Water, <laughs> Helen, water. Um, okay, Matthew, what's the uh, vote so far? You know what would be really sad now that I think about it? Um, <laughs> I think that most uh. of the people who come to our website are old like us. Because of 180 uh, votes, you tag, know, 55% or let's say 100 have s- sided with the Wolfman and Frankenstein's monster. Kessler and Talbot are still in the game, 45%. So it's not like this is a done deal yet. I think there's probably still a little bit to be heard, but in in regards to readers, yeah. just uh, really quickly, this was something that we did a few years ago. Most of our readers are below 30 when you combine all of the percentages. However, the largest percentage of age range people are between 30 and 40. Hmm. I'm not even going to make jokes about IQs below 30 because I love our faithful spoiler rights uh-huh. each and every one of you. All right, listeners, if you want to cast your vote or your thoughts on this poll of the week, this POW, uh, head over to Major Spoilers or check the show notes. There's a link right there that will take you. And next week, the winner of this match takes on Hogan and Savage. (laughs) I don't know what we're going to do next week. It'll probably be like uh, Church's Chicken or Kentucky Fried Chicken. (laughs) I think Popeye's won, right? Yes, we ought to have the... We ought to have the uh, battle of the uh, bad fast. You, you need to do it like a, like a like a NCAA bracket thing. You no, know, for years I've been trying to do that. I keep alluding to these contests. Uh-huh. There's a contest where I want to set up a bracket like that. Right. So keep watching the skies, tr- listeners, and uh, we may have that in the near future. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to listen to some comments from some of the uh, faithful spoilerites out there, and then we will be back to talk about days of future past. Hello, this is Scarlett from Independent, Missouri. I'm a big fan of both the Major Spoilers and Critical Hits podcast. I got to see an early showing of Scott, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and I thought it was amazing and coincided remarkably with the comics. As one of the best conflict movies of the year, if not the decade, I read Scott Pilgrim vs. the World with 5 out of 5 pluses in meatloaf. Hello, this is George. I'm calling from, believe it or not, Iraq. Discovered you guys a few weeks ago going through all the podcasts. As for Days of Future Past, I think that was burned at its height. Real scary tale. I think it will a lot of um, mistakes of mankind's past into that storyline. I think it would make a very good topic, and I can't wait to hear it. Um, especially in these days and times, I wonder if um, this has more relevance than when it was first published back in the mid to late 80s. So take care, guys. You're doing a great job, and um, talk to you soon. Hi, Major Spoilers. This is Heath from Pittsburgh. There's three things about Days of Future Past worth mentioning. One is the cover of Uncanny X-Men 141. Uh, much like you spoke of formative movies in a previous podcast, this is really one of the formative comic book covers in, in my lifetime. The James Byrne poster with all the X-Men, which leads me to my second point. Uh, the poster represents the fact that the X-Men can die. They list it for you. They show all of the fallen heroes um, in the graveyard later, but the the fact that Wolverine can die, Storm gets violently impaled, is really central to the... Uh, danger of this this dystopian future and that's my third point days of future past is the story that gives meaning to the x-men 
the reason for being to this day. I mean, I know there's mutant rights and everything, but I mean, this X future, I mean, is a dystopian world that must be prevented at all costs. And this is where that all begins in Days of Future Past. And as a matter of fact, a number of characters have become very important to the X-Men, like uh, Rachel Ray, Bishop, Cable, and even uh, Hope nowadays are, are solely there to prevent these dystopian futures from being created down the line. Uh, thanks, guys. Appreciate the podcast. Wow. I really want to thank everybody who contributed this week by sending in a phone call. I love voicemail messages because it just shows that more people are listening and they have something important to share with everybody. And I like, I like that. Yeah. I like that. And it a lot. gives you a chance to crinkle mail and, and, you know, make it sound well, no, like it, it prevents me on. from crinkling mail because, uh, these are all voice calls. That's so right. that's even better. You, you just have to listen to him awkwardly put it into a tape deck. Yeah. Eject, ravage, operation, mock, Stephen. You know, if you would like to contribute to the Major Spoilers podcast, uh, throw out your thoughts about the topic that we're discussing this week, or really anything comic book related, we want you to call the Major Spoilers podcast hotline. That number, Matthew, is... 785-727-1939, the Major Spoilers Hotline. And, you know, that is a, a Skype number, so I think a lot of people, and I think it throws even people when we do a call out to some of our guests that we talk to, that shows up as a Lawrence era, you know, Lawrence uh, City um, phone Very number. Good, yeah. And so it throws a lot of people off when they say, oh, you're in Lawrence. I'm like, no, I'm about uh, four hours away from Lawrence. So, mm-hmm. uh, But you do have, and, you know, it is a number that you can call in internationally. Uh, there were a couple, unfortunately, a couple of phone calls we couldn't use this week just because the sound quality was really, really bad. I don't know if it was because uh, people were calling in from cell phones or calling from the side of the road or driving or whatever it was. But, you know, I'm, I, we just can't have, you know, a minute of yep. stuff. So I hope you understand on that. Uh, it's nothing against you personally. All right. We've got a, a two-issue series to, to uh, discuss this week. Mm-hmm. Very, very short. You know, Point of order. Yes. Not a series. All right. It's a two-issue arc. Yes. Thank you. Uh, that, uh, you know, really a lot of people have made a big deal of over the years. Mm-hmm. Days of Future Past from Uncanny X-Men number 141 and 142, in which something terrible is happening in the year 2013, <gasps> where all mutants have uh, either been obliterated or rounded up into concentration camps and... The Sentinels have taken over, and the bombs are ready to fall. And unless Kitty Pride can travel her mind backwards through time into her younger self, the world may be lost. That is the days of future past. Pretty much in the dun, yeah, dun, da. I mean, it's two issues. It's uh, you know, it's it's interesting. I mean, I think this is a kind of book that, uh, as we were talking about a couple of weeks ago when we were talking. Uh, what was it X or Avengers forever? Mm-hmm. I was just like, I don't know who any mm-hmm. of these characters are. Right. This is a book that you know who all the characters are. It's yeah. Kitty pride. She can phase. You've got Wolverine. He's got the schnick schnicks with the, with the hands. You've got, uh, <laughs> you've got Colossus who turns himself into <laughs> thanks, iron. Thanks Steven. My Jewish grandpa. <laughs> you've got the Magneto who makes a brief appearance, uh, br- uh briefly. You've got, uh, uh, storm, uh, and I think those are the main. <laughs> yeah, it's good that he doesn't make a brief appearance for a long time because that would be awkward. Yes. Um, 
I think those are the main five that we have in this book. I mean, Charles Xavier shows up a little bit. Storm is in there. Uh, Colossus is in there. Dr. Moria McTaggart is in there for just a moment as well. Um, But you don't have the... Where is it? Yeah, she's she's there with uh, Xavier as they're trying to... uh, the, The deal is that one of these senators who's running for president is killed, and that triggers a whole bunch of anti-mutant hate, which eventually allows mm-hmm. this organization to rise to power, unleash the Sentinels on the world, and essentially destroy you know, civilization as we know it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Kitty gets – her mind gets sent backwards in time to a point where she is still a new member of the X-Men, and – they go to Washington to try to avert this this killing because not only do they kill the senator, they also kill Charles Xavier and they also kill Doctor McTaggart. McTaggart is that her name? Yeah. And um, McTaggart. And it turns out like that McDuck we have the, uh, the brother the uh, what is it the, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Yes, which is led by Mystique. Mystique. It's got the Blob on there, and it's got some other really no name, the Flame Hand or something. Pyro is not a no Pyro. name. Avalanche. 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 Booster who's, Gold. <laughs> no, not Booster right. Gold. Uh, but who's the, the Destiny? Uh, James Kahn. Kahn. Um, and Destiny. So, uh, none of Hippo. these guys, with the exception of Avalanche. Yeah. <laughs> Bald Bull. Yeah. So run us from the point, uh, Matthew, where they send uh, Tails Kitty Pride, Hedgehog. Send Kitty Pride back in time. Okay. Well, basically, they managed to send Kitty Pride back in time with the help of an unidentified red-haired telepath (gasps) who is essentially vaguely unidentified in this issue, um, who basically transfigurates Kitty's brain into the brain of her past self, which is why it's not a time travel story. Nobody physically travels in time. There's a psychic bridge created where Kitty's brain engrams are turned into those of her adult self. And the grown-up Kitty has to try and get her brand new partners in the X-Men who don't know her or trust her the way they would 20 years in the future to believe her when she says that this is going on and that they have to go save Senator Robert Kelly. There's actually one troubling sequence in here for me in this whole bit where she's trying to convince them. How easily is it it for her to convince them? Well, no, actually, that makes sense. It's an X-Men comic. This kind of stuff happens all the time. Wolverine says she moves and talks and even smells like a woman. As opposed to a young child. Yeah, but it's the smell part that I don't get. Maybe hormones. The smells part doesn't make sense. I mean, this is still physically her 13-year-old body. And I, you know, well, I don't even want to go into older the mind triggers some brain chemistry stuffs. You never know. And suddenly, at the age of fourteen, it was it Kitty was goes a little through menopause. It, yes, it really was kind of weird. <laughs> it was a weird line. Yeah. And really, again, the dialogue of the time is very much mm-hmm. the dialogue of the time. The same problem that we talked about uh, when we talked about um, the Dark Phoenix saga and some of those others. So it's a little, a little twisty in a few parts but it still holds up but that is a is a line that does stand yeah. out quite a bit so we actually have two time tracks we have mystique assembling her new brotherhood to kill senator kelly while in the future older versions of the few surviving x excuse me x-men are moving against the sentinels to try and i don't know break free or some such i think they're trying to bring down that the part- sentinels from their corporate headquarters at the fantastic right, building. which is the Baxter building. Yeah, but the thing about 
the future storyline is that, and the good thing about it is that it's essentially hopeless. Yeah. It is hopeless from oh, the yeah. beginning to the end. And, you know, it's, it's the last of, um, what's that war movie where Steve McQueen almost gets out and ends up hanging in barbed wire? The, the great escape, the great escape. Yeah. It's like that, or I think it's the end of the wild bunch where all these characters that we've known to, we've come to know and love for two hours are gunned down in the streets. It's like that. The whole point of that future story is the end, the battle sequences at the end. Right. And that's really what these, this, these two issues are all about fight after fight. You got the fight in the present of 1980 Mm -hmm. and the fight of the future of 2013 um, yeah. it's interesting. And again, not being well-versed in all of X-Men history, how many times has Wolverine mm-hmm. completely been killed, uh, before, before this issue at, at this point, never really. Okay. So we actually Wolverine's see ul- yeah. Wolverine getting obliterated very much in the same way that he's obliterated in the ultimatum storyline. Mm-hmm. Just all of his skin just totally wiped off of his, his adamantium right. skeleton. This is the first time that they actually, this I believe is the first time chronologically where we see the adamantium skeleton because oh, okay. they talk about his claws previously, but I don't know that there's much discussion prior to this issue to number 142, where we actually see him talking about his unbreakable adamantium skeleton or something. Hmm. You know, it happens. Yes. But the sequence where his flesh is roasted off his bones is pretty shocking. Well, and then of course, storm gets it through the chest with a spear. Right. I forget how Colossus bites it. Colossus, we don't see him die. We don't see him die. What we see is Colossus talking. The thing is like, his hands are red with her blood, and he screams, and he he goes into a berserker fury, and that's the last we see. Ah, okay. All we know about Colossus is that a sentinel goes through the wall immediately afterwards. Right, that's right, that's right. His his death is entirely implied and takes place off-panel. So in the present of 1980, which is really, I think, the past of actually when people were reading this book, um, mm-hmm. the X-Men go to Washington and they have a big SmackDown drag out fight with uh, Mystique and all of her crew in the chambers of a Senate Senate hearing. Do yep. you think, do you Senator think that mutants are dangerous? <laughs> yeah. And that's basically what's yeah, happening. They're having is. a big discussion, which and- is oddly reminiscent of um, the very first X-Men movie where they're having mm-hmm. that discussion uh, almost the exact okay. same discussion. I, I wouldn't say it's, it's oddly reminiscent. reminiscent. <laughs> this is where they got yeah. that. No, that's, I mean, what, that's what I meant. It's the I mean, movie. This is, when you this watch is Senator the movie, Kelly. You know, yeah. you Don't you hate from. it? Yeah, yeah. I really hated it last week when that Batman Year One ripped off the Dark Knight. So I know. Obviously. Don't you hate that? Really, this is... And I'm I, tired. This storyline, and the and I think the, the couple ones that preceded it, introduces to Senator Kelly. Right. And... Senator mm-hmm. Kelly has since become a complete staple of the X-Men universe where right, right. he depending on the storyline and the and the dimension he either is like oh mutants are good and eventually becomes president who's helping out mutants or he's always like this hate spouting crazy man mm-hmm. but it's always kind of centered around Senator Kelly he's a uh, him and uh he's like Graydon Creed are kind of the right yeah. The big heavies. The big politics. Senator Kelly is like the Jack T. Chick of the X-Men. It depends on whether you agree with him, whether you believe him or not. Mm. Well, the bottom line for the fight in the present is that they do save Kelly. They do save Xavier. They do ser- save yeah. Dr. McTaggart. And, and that's it. It's like, well, did the future change? No, I don't know. We don't know. And that, but I think, that's gets- the thing. That's the thing. They ruined it. 
But Why? I can show you the precise panel where everything that is wrong with X-Men since 1980 takes place and where it comes from. Where? It's the second to last page. And Kitty is like, and Kate prides mind and she decides to kiss herself on the cheek and lets the winds of eternity sweep her home. Bam. Right there they ruined it. Why? Because if this is truly an alternate future, if the X-Men's actions kept it from ever happening, then that, that mind has no place existing, to go. No, but that's the thing. That might go mm-hmm. go another page to the secret cabal chamber where it doesn't matter if the if Senator Kelly lived or died, there's still this people saying, "We're going to build sentinels and send them out across the nation killing people." So it's like the plan hasn't really changed. It's just the time point was off. They didn't know, you know, they I think they got the uh the it's idea like an, of, of it's like Kelly Terminator, dying or yeah where they keep making more movies and like pushing when Skynet right uh, right 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 no i just through. i just think that regardless of whether her traveling back in time saved the senator or not the powers that be were still going to create the sentinels and still lead to that future in the, in the the mm-hmm. sentinels already existed at this no no point. but i mean this particular plot plan of we are going to do this and we're going to unleash them across america and then we're going to uh, take them overseas and all of this stuff. Yeah. That's is this the point. At the end of your book? Yes. Page one. Or, that's uh, not where X Men 142 ends. Yeah. That may be something. Are you guys reading a collection? This is in an uh, collected. Let me find out now. In this pile. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's you one may one have an enhanced pages. version. There is this darkened face. Yeah. And uh, we don't know who the darkened face is, but essentially he's saying, hey, this is going to be my. Second in command, is this the person, the other person you were talking about? Um, who's the guy with the glasses and the red hair? Henry Peter Grinch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is my you know, right-hand man. He's going to be doing all this Sentinel stuff. And yeah, so it's essentially... That's not in my version. It's, well, then maybe they've they added something yeah, in a bonus later on. it's the last page on this one. Because um, it, it even has, like, next demon is the next arc. Yeah, so it's almost like here's an epilogue of it doesn't matter... The future wasn't going to change, no matter what they did. And when I read that, I was like, "Ah, there's your Twilight Zone ending." That makes this book a lot more interesting in my mind. It's scary doer. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe there's some kind of doer or a mirror. We don't know. Chris B says, "I See, have to say to this, me... and I wasn't." A... Chris B says, "I have to say I wasn't particularly a fan of the storyline, but I have to admit that it." has more to do with the painful stories that followed days of future present the adventures of cyclops and phoenix the executioner's song and all the other tie-ons with uh tie-ins with bishop gambit and everyone else this was yet again tying into the future we will all die stories to me the best stories have a feeling of hope in them even the ones with foreboding even the ones where you see something horrible on their horizon the idea that there still exists some hope is essential for it to be enjoyable while this story was actually done pretty well um, the fact that we get to see Wolverine die is a plus. Uh, it made bleak, downer stories cool and laid the groundwork for a good deal of what bad storytelling would be like 10 years later. So he's obviously reading yeah. the same collection that we are. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it, I, it, this is a book that is more remarkable for its historical significance than any real staying power. It's kind of, it's a lot like when we read, um, the Terra story, the uh, the Judas contract. Mm-hmm. I seem to recall Rodrigo having some issues with the storytelling and the, the walls of text and like that. When I was reading this, 
I found myself remarking on how talky Chris Claremont was and how, good God, every single panel is full of words. Yes, especially in the future where it's like um, when uh, Kitty is being attacked by the rogue people Mm -hmm. and she's like muttering Mm -hmm. under her breath a bunch of like exposition, like important exposition, like – Oh, no, yes. you are attacking me. I don't have my powers because I'm wearing this thing, but I still have powers to kick you in the junk. <laughs> you know, kind of stuff. It's just like... I am just a normal woman. Oh, no. It, and and Wolver- Wolverine does the exact same thing. Well, they all do. Yeah. Because they all do. And sometimes exposition comes out of nowhere. Like, right. There are, there are panels in which two people are fighting or, like, running or something. There's no background. And then there's text in the spaces that are between the two characters. Like, it's not even a text box. It's like the characters are in a text box. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's, it, what's really interesting to me... It's not necessarily even it, bad, though. Right. I mean, that's just the style. Right. No, and that's that's the story of the time. That's, that's Shooter's Marvel, where you assume that every issue is read by some person for the first time, and you explain everything like, ah, my name is Sprite and I have phasing powers, except I don't in this far-flung future. Ha-ha! You know, the robot chicken speed racer gag where we have mm-hmm. to explain everything that's being seen on scene. But this was three issues, no, four issues after the end of the Dark Phoenix saga. This oh, really? is the that big okay. follow-up. Yeah. The Phoenix ended in 137. This is 141 and 142. This was the big follow-up to Dark Phoenix. This is where the X-Men are going. And if you look at it from the perspective of they hit that huge home run and they're like, what do we do for an encore? Bam, we hit this. You know, it's, it's, you have to look at this as an accomplishment because this, mm-hmm. these two issues are the roadmap for virtually everything that's happened in X-Men titles since 1980. It, it really is. I mean, every, there are four separate X-Men. Who come from some variation of this reality? Bishop Four and Cable. separate characters. That one Bishop, little girl, Cable, the second Phoenix, Rachel mm-hmm. Summers, and uh, what's his face? That one guy. X Man. Oh, Nate Gray. Well, I don't know if X. No, Nate Gray yeah. comes from uh, that... Age of Apocalypse, which is Apocalypse. which is in, which is a, was... a backwards remix of Days of Future Past. Days anyway. Well, and. This is, I mean, this is a game changer because before this, the X-Men were all about, we are going to stop the the other mutants and show how we are good. And this story really sets up for one of the first times, a really believable plot line of mutant hatred. And it finally addresses something that bothered me about the Marvel universe in, in the future. Kitty is doing her little power walk thing and she's walking back to the camp and she walks past, you know, the endless identical white headstones. It's a really, it's a moving kind of almost horrifying sequence. But if you look Mm -hmm. at it, you see Reed Richards and Ben Grimm, you see names that aren't mutants, right? Right. If I live in the Marvel universe and I'm worried about monsters destroying me and I hate mutants, why am I going to hate, you know, the Scarlet Witch and Jean Grey and Emma Frost, who are all these super hottie babes, but not going to hate, um, you know, I'm not going to hate Ben Grimm. I'm not going to hate Bruce Banner. I'm not going to hate all of these monstrous Emil Blonsky, these creatures who aren't mutants, but are so much more horrifying to me. 
this takes it to the logical extreme. Yeah. Somebody hated mutants and they decided they were going to wipe out all the power types to get rid of them. It's not necessarily, you know, they're not saying mutants are hated and this is our little metaphor. This is literally, they came in the night for the mutants and then they came for the Fantastic Four. And when they came for me, there was nobody less to stop them. You know, that to me is very, very disturbing and really, really adds some resonance to the storyline. And and really what makes it a little stronger, too, is that coming out of the the Dark Phoenix, the, the Phoenix and Dark Phoenix storylines are all about the X-Men in space and right. basically not oh. being mutants so much as being superheroes. And, you know, the, the Hellfire mm-hmm. Club are a bunch of mutants, but who cares because they're rich and there's no none of that mutant hysteria that kind of is where the X-Men were coming from sort of from the beginning. Um, this is a, is a really solid story with, you know, all the ridiculous time travel and all the superpowers and stuff, but it's a story about mutant hatred and about people hating mutants and about where the, where societal hate can take you, mm-hmm. you know, in that way that, you know, from the very beginning, the X-Men have been about acceptance. This is kind of the reverse of that of if you're not accepting the world goes to crap. I kind of, and again, maybe Matthew's version is different than the one we read. Maybe ours was a different collection, but, uh, you know, I looked at this as, yes, there was this talk of mutant hate and, and all of that stuff, but more of you cannot change the future. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no matter what uh, happens, see, destiny is always going to lead us to this event at some I, point. I think they leave it open-ended enough. Like, yeah, maybe. Because if you, even if you read I mean, that, I don't know what happened in issue 243 or 44, or, you know, what happens with with this uh, cabal of people that are plotting in the in the background. But uh, it pretty much seems that the future is going to happen regardless. Yeah. See, because you can degree, even... yeah. Even in, that, even in that panel that Matthew pointed out, I mean, it's like, let's her sweep her home. Sure, right. She's right. going back to her own time. But, and let's the winds of eternity sweep her home could be that she just allows herself to, you know disintegrate in the ether and die true because there's no future <clears throat> yeah 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 truly there's no future yeah so you know there is that aspect of we actually never see her snap to right and go future. oh mm-hmm. everything has changed yay right, right. or oh no it is still a crap yeah yeah oh no this time i've yeah. stepped on my glasses and i can't read that's right the library books uh like, and there's some She's in a hospital and everything's nice. It's like, oh, yay, we did it. And then Colossus walks in, but he has the head of a newt. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone was a pig person. (laughs) Days of Future Past is one of those storylines that everybody talks about. Right. Everybody knows about, but I don't know that everybody has actually sat down and read it because you don't have to anymore. No, it's it's the first time I've read it. And to be quite honest... There's a hell of a lot of build up to this story that at the end I was like, ah, it's a nice little twisty end to it and a mm-hmm. nice little I mean it's a nice little story but really and it is crazy that it happens in two issues. Yeah. I mean this is and and you know yeah. we talk about we're like haha, you know walls of text and blah blah on the old style. Like this is the old style is like you tell a badass story and you tell it in less than four issues. Right. Like yeah. why would you spend you four issues on issues a story? Right. Up. Right. Because nobody's going to come back for four issues. Exactly. In four months, you'll have a whole new bunch of kids, according to the Weisinger principle. Right. Principle, rather. But this is economic in a way. There are only six X Men or five X Men in this whole story. Right. It's not one of those thirteen-person teams breaking up. It's 
Nightcrawler, Wolverine, Storm, Kitty Pride, what's her face? What's his face in the angel? That's your team. Yep. And these days you have to have nine X members to make anybody happy because there's yeah. so many of them. But this Plus book, whatever you know, new X men you've decided to introduce in your run. Right, right. Yeah. We see longer ranging effects than just in the X Men universe. Franklin Richards appears. And this yeah. story really defines Franklin Richards and his powers for the new generation. To die. Oh. To mm. die. But <laughs> it re- you know, it My rebuilds all sorts of things. <laughs> it, it it puts the Sentinels on new footing. It yeah. gives the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, who previously I think had only fought like Dazzler or something. The new, the new brotherhood or its sisterhood of evil mutants, whoever they are, it sets up characters who hadn't gotten respect, like the blob, and puts them back in the center of things. You know, the blob goes hand to hand with Colossus, whereas at one point he couldn't handle a fight with the angel. This is really, you know, I think honestly, this story was Claremont and Byrne going, Hey, you know what would be great? And then let's do this, and let's do this, and let's yeah. do this. It's like, oh, yeah, and man, only yeah, add, awesome. And let's burn him to death. And then we'll, like, spike her, and it'll be like, pew, pew. And then at the end, you know, after the after the fans went absolutely, you know, ape feces for it, they realize what they had, and they're like, well, let's build on that. Let's play with that. Let's toy with that. And then we get Rachel and we get Rachel coming back in time, and then we get Cable going forward, and then coming back in time, and then we get entire miniseries where Cyclops and Phoenix go forward in time, and it just there's a point where you go back to the well too many times, and you start dredging up mud, but that yeah. doesn't change the fact that that first bucket of water, this story, is pretty awesome. Steve uh, Steve Y says. Uh, Days of Future Past also falls victim to the postmodern view of infinite realities progressively spawning off of a single point. On one hand, it makes for interesting stories to a point. And then he goes on to say, but it's it's um, but it is unstoppable because someone always wants to know what if. Yeah. And then he starts to say, you know, Days of Future Past established these what if stories as part of continuity as opposed to the what if and the Elseworlds titles that DC would later do. And, and I guess DC also had their own what if su- series. But. Essentially, why do this in this main book as opposed to just doing it in a what if story, in a what if issue? And and I've really come to think that, um, and and I don't want to super generalize everything, but I think that comic readers at first, and eventually those became comic writers, just really don't like that. You know, for a long time, it was perfectly reasonable and in fact fashionable to have a story where you would see stuff happening and then the writer would basically point at you and say, and what happens next? You decide. Yeah. And all these fans yeah. were like, no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to know. Or, okay, I will decide, but it's way more awesome than what anybody else could come up with. Turn so when I'm writing now. to yeah. Marvel, or when I'm writing for Marvel, yeah. Yeah. I will come up with what did happen. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, that happens 20 years later and other stuff has happened, which I will now spend six issues on doing right and there's also the argument that well have you guys read any of the marvel adventures titles aimed at younger children younger readers you mean like superhero squad no i mean like mar the marvel yeah, adventure the, stories oh, that marvel are like spider-man stuff, yeah. and nova and yeah, Thor. Yeah. No, those no, no, books come those. out every month and the guys who've been writing those books for years are guys like 
Jeff Parker, Fred Van Lent, guys who are now taking over mainstream titles and kicking butt because they've been doing it for several years on these other books. But if I say to somebody at work and, you know, Dion made this point the other day, he's like, I can't order as many of Marvel Adventure Spider-Man because, quote unquote, it doesn't count. This story took place in the X-Men title, the actual, at this time, only X-Men title. It counts. It is capital letter canon. And if it had been, you know, well, these days it would be a 12-issue maxi series with, you know, a bumper on either end and some really spiffy covers and probably a Brian Bendis script. But the fact that it took place the way it did is indicative of the times, much like last week we talked about year one taking place as four issues of Batman's book. Right. This was just, this was just an arc. This was, you know what, uh, John and Chris had to get something out the door if they were going to get paid that month. And this is what they came up with. And lightning struck and amazingly lightning struck in that same bottle that it just had. This is Chris and John arguably at the peak of their abilities, at least Chris at the peak of his abilities, John at the beginning of the point where he became amazing. So if you read this story, it's not partly because of the future sequences as dated as it could be, as some books from 1980 are. Right. Of course, in three years, when it actually is 2013, we're all not going to be laughing when the Sentinels come and crush us. But no. I, for one, welcome our Sentinel overlords. (laughs) Well, that's because you already work for the evil robot overlord. But. I mean, we all do. Please stop destroying my nervous system telepathically. <laughs> anyway, I think that this book, if you take it as an artifact of the time, it's a phenomenal achievement. If you take it as comparatively to some of the stories we see today, it's still pretty impressive. It's groundbreaking in a way that, and I'm generalizing and being hateful here, X-Men comics haven't been since this story because this story was so damn groundbreaking that we've been kind of rehashing it or at the very least reimagining or working with those toys. This made new toys. Claremont and Byrne created new toys and 25, 30 what is it, 37, 40? Is it 40 now? No, 1980 is 30 years ago. 30 years later, these toys are still really fun to play with. And the guys who work at Marvel and get to play with these toys, they don't go six months without referencing Days of Future Past. It doesn't right. happen. Right. I don't know. I just, you know, I thought it was an interesting story. I thought it was um, pretty typical of the art and the writing of the time. So if you can put up with that, you'll do just fine. I thought it was an interesting story. I thought it was a fun story. But, you know, and I, again, I'm looking at this through the rearview mirror. Uh, to me, it's still in that two issues. It's a fantastical story, but it's not, I don't know. I, don't, I didn't think it was that awesome as so many people make it out to be. Yeah, I think really it is that, it is that rearview effect because... Right, right. You know, we've seen plenty of stories with time travel, and we've mm-hmm. even seen plenty of stories with a somebody going back in time into their own mind. Right. Like, even right. The, the very specific things have gotten redone over and over again. Mm-hmm. Not to mention that, again, if you've seen the uh, 90s cartoon, that, that whole deal with Bishop, and, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. a, mm-hmm. It's like one of the few um, multiple-part... Uh, 
things in like the early seasons. Um, so you know, yeah. it's all it's all stuff that we've seen over and over again since then. So going back, the fact that somebody cut uh, Pikachu to um, a mindless self indulgence song doesn't seem that impressive now <laughs> right, that everybody right. knows Flash. Right. Right. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Right. And. I, I think the the upshot of the whole thing is that comics 30 years ago were a very different beast. But if they were to just slap this book together today and hand it out and say, read this, it probably wouldn't have the same, you know, it wouldn't have that same devastating lightning bolt effect. But I think people would still go, you know, that was a better than average comic. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not saying that this isn't a this is a good comic. Um, but I don't, I mean, like I said, I don't see how it's so awesome, but right. again, in hindsight, if I would have read it when it first came out, I might have said, wow, who are all these people that I've never <laughs> read before? And, oh my gosh, one of them died. But, uh, this I mean, is yeah, the dark Knight still... returns for the X-Men. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So bottom line, Matthew. I say it's a must read. I don't know that you have to own it because honestly, it's not. A, tape, a trade paperback. It's not a collection. It's two issues of the book. If you go out and buy them, it'll cost you 100, 150 bucks. But I think you should read it. I think that the story, even today, the story is seminal enough and central enough to the X-Men's current stat of, status quo that it's a fun read. It's a good read. And it's a story that does hold up. Maybe not perfectly, but definitely something that you want to read, especially if you're into X-Men or if you consider yourself a comic historian. Okay. Uh, actually, if, if you want to go out and buy the individual issues, you might spend that. The Uncanny X-Men Days of Future Past trade, uh, about 16 bucks on eBay. That's not so, bad. Yeah. Why would you want to buy a trade if you could buy the individual issues? $16 versus $150. So Why would you want to buy a trade if you could buy the original issues? $16 versus $150. Why would you want to buy Chicken McNuggets if you could go and have a, a wonderful lobster dinner? Why would you want to buy Chicken McNuggets if you could buy individual nuggets? Oh, is that what you're talking about? Of course, I, I think I, that's and what I'm, I'm guessing I'm going to have to spend more for the same thing that I can find. In yeah, because each you know one what? of this... them comes packaged in its own individual box. Ah, okay, and so that's why they're more expensive. I think so. Yes. You know, this is not also something... if you got them when they originally came out, that would have been tasty. Yeah, that would probably been kind of just stale hard. and hard. Yeah, this is something that you don't have to collect the original issues. Get the trade paperback. It's you worth the read. Suck. It's worth the read. It's not a fantastic tale, but if you want to see where things have come from and probably where things will be going again in the next five years, this is something that you can point to and look at. I'm giving it a thumbs up, but pick it up in trade. Um, This is, as far as the X-Men in time travel stories, this is the fork in the road where they could have been good from here on out, but instead <laughs> they just... Where what they are, <laughs> right? Um, if you liked, for example, if you liked Age of Apocalypse, you'll probably like Days of Future Past because yeah. that's where Age of Apocalypse I wanna, came I wanna from. I want to read Age of Apocalypse. Um, if you like anything dealing with Cable, Terminator, like any, yeah. If you like th that whole, like the Messiah arc mm -hmm. where uh cable and bishop are basically jumping back and forth through time this is where that whole x-men time travel thing comes from so you might as well if you're into that you might as well go pick it up in one form or another all right great 
All right, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew, for being on the show. Rodrigo, same to you. Thanks for joining us this week. And listeners, thank you for being a part of the Major Spoilers experience. We're going to uh, come back on Saturday, and we're going to be talking about some movie stuff. I think we're going to be talking about Scott Pilgrim in particular. Uh, Also, next week on the show, we will be reading Lone Wolf and Cub Volume 1. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat the X-ray vision of a Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page Would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew They kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East With a King Sun throwing soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers Podcast Copyright 2010Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.